Um, I don't want to give too many spoilers away uh, today, but I don't think I've ever prepared a, a message with this much um, diversity in good news. So there's a lot of good news this morning. Um, I am very excited to share about this. Today we're finishing up our sermon on resurrecting hope. Um, and uh, I'm, we're talking about something that we very rarely talk about. Um, we talk a lot about Jesus's birth, a lot about his ministry, about his healings, um, his sermons, his death on a cross. Last week, we celebrated uh, his resurrection, which we do every year with much fanfare. Um, how many messages have you ever heard just on the ascension of Christ, of Jesus levitating off the ground? Um, probably, probably not very much. Um, yeah, uh, the moments Jesus flew up in the air with the disciples watching, um, which is weird. We talk about, there's, I've heard so many more messages on Jesus in a manger than I have on this. And yet this made it into the Nicene Creed as something that is central to our faith, as something that's, you, you gotta, this is bare minimum. You gotta be on board with this and we gotta understand it. This is what it means to be a Christian, to believe that Jesus can fly. <laughs> what? It's crazy. Nicene Creed, he suffered, he died, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father in glory to judge both the living and, uh, he will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead. Jesus's ascension is a big part of the story, um, and it's a significant piece. Um, I left the clicker over here. All right, today we are in John 16 and Acts 1 through 2. We're going to be flipping back and forth between these two passages. So if you want to have your thumb or your Bible marker in, in those, um, we're going to read them. And then we're going to look, about, look at what the rest of the Bible says about these two passages. We're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture and understand what the Lord um, would have us believe in, and know um, about his ascension. Uh, but first, we have to address the elephant in the room. Did Jesus actually fly? Was it just a metaphor? Was it a misunderstanding? Um, you know, did he put his fist up in the air and shout up, up, and away to, in, to infinity and beyond? Um, <laughs> and I think, yes, yes. How did he do it? To eternity and beyond. There you go. Um, he did it by miraculous power, right? You you can't be a Christian and not believe in miracles. I want to drive that home, that we have a miraculous faith, right? Like, we're not looking for a scientific explanation for wind currents and, you know, angle of the sun and how he was able to, like, no, Jesus is God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the earth to the sky, right? Um, we believe that God became a man that he was born of a virgin, right? That he healed people, that he walked on water, right? This is the, these are the things that we believe together as a community. We believe that he died, but he rose from the dead, right? And then, you know, to believe that he ascended is actually not 
that much of a big leap. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> all right. I don't have that many jokes today, but, you know. Um, all right. Uh, Luke is one of four witnesses that tells about the life of Jesus. Luke. Um, he's one of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Luke ends his gospel with an account of the ascension. And then he writes a second book called Acts, short for Acts of the Apostles. It's what the apostles did. But it starts with the same story. So he ends one book with one story, starts Acts 1 with the same story. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Like, <laughs> you're just, <laughs> this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. This is how Jesus left the earth. He comes back to life, continues teaching on the kingdom of heaven for about 40 days, gives us final instruction and his final encouragement and gets yet another question about when are you going to kick these Romans out? Right? Like that's what everybody wants to know. Even after the whole thing, like when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When, you know, when are we going to be put back in charge here, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I'm giving you the Holy spirit. That's what we got to focus. That's what this whole thing has been about. Like let's focus here. Right. And then Jesus rises up into the sky and gets hidden by a cloud. Right. And just like that, Jesus is not here. He's gone. Right? During his last 40 days, Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission. Right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. And he ends it with this phrase, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And then he leaves. <laughs> right? Like, we talk about like Bible contradictions here. Like, I'm with you. I'm going to stay with you. Don't worry. I know I left for three days, but now I'm back. Like, I'm going to stay with you. And then he leaves again. Right? Like, what's the deal? What's the deal? All right. Jesus is speaking in two 
different senses here, okay? And we see this, we see what he meant in verses like Ephesians 3, right? Where it says Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith, right? Or 2 Corinthians, Jesus is in you. Galatians 2, it's Christ who lives in me, right? This is the sense that Jesus is with us, right? And never leaves us, right? He's not with us bodily, right? The Christians aren't confused about that. Like Jesus is here, but Jesus left and, and all that. Like Jesus left bodily, right? But he is in us, Christ in us. We live in Christ. We abide in Christ, even though his physical body is not with us, right? And I want to think for a moment, how do you view Jesus's absence? How do we think about the fact that Jesus is not here? Some of us, when we think, when we read scripture, boy, Jesus was here and he was on earth and everything. And I just wish I could have been there. And like, I feel like I've been left. I feel like I've been forgotten about. I feel like I have to remind God about what's going on, right? Because he left and he's not here. Um, a lot of people view Jesus's absence as yet another long waiting period, right? Like it was before Jesus was born. We've got like some seven or 800 years between um, the last prophet uh, speaking and Jesus appearing um, from the, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And is this just another long waiting period where just God's not here, right? God was here. Now he's not. Oh, there he is again, right? Swip, swap, swip, swap. Like, what is, what does the fact that Jesus left earth mean for humanity? And I'm excited because this is where all the good, this is where all the good news starts. All right. So we're going to use some scripture to interpret scripture. We're not looking in ourselves. I know we just did some introspection, but that's not where the, the sermon ends. We're going to look at what scripture says about the ascension. Um, and I found three things the scripture says specifically, like this is what the ascension means. Jesus ascended. And so Jesus sits. Uh, and so, um, and then I found a fourth one, which is no good because three point messages are always better than four point messages <laughs> kind of ruin the whole thing, but I'm going to keep it in there, even though it's not as symmetrical as I would hope. So <laughs> It's more. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> Jesus is now the glorified high priest and mediator seated at the right hand of the father, holding the keys to death and Hades. This, this is, we talked about, he's the risen and exalted one this morning, right? Like he rose, we focus on that, but boy, he is exalted to the highest place. He's given the name that's above every name. He's given the keys of death and Hades, right? He's, this is a good thing. Why? Well, Hebrews 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. We're talking about Old Testament priests here, which can never take away sins. They could only cover the sins, right? They could never take away the sins. But when this priest, had, priest has offered for all time, once, one sacrifice for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he, had made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is a huge difference, right? We talk about how the Old Testament sacrifices were a shadow and a type of what's going to happen, right? But it wasn't, it's not just Jesus um, uh, a perfectly like replacing, like what Jesus did was so much better and brighter than what the whole, what the, um, uh, the religious priests were doing. Um, check this out. Ha, huh, this is wonderful. Every day after day, every priest stands and performs, but we have a high priest who sat down, right? This high priest, one sacrifice for sin, and what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. The fact that Jesus sat down is proof that it is finished, right? He sits at the right hand, and that gives us faith, right? That we don't need to go and and by our works and our merits and our sacrifices and everything, somehow make up for or hide or cover or whatever our sins, right? It's good news. It is good news. All right, number two, we have the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, and the spirit of power with us. That's one person, not four people. Like, that's all the Holy Spirit, right? And Jesus says that this is somehow better than having him physically with us. Sometimes we'll think, we'll open our Bible, and we think wistfully about, boy, if only I could have just seen Jesus' face. If only I could just, you know, put my hands in, in, you know, into his side or whatever. If only I could just sit at his feet, right? I could ask him some questions. This is what Jesus says to us. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. That is the world's sin. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. Whoops. Uh, did I go to the right thing? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Jesus says it's best that I go away. Why? Because I'm sending the Holy Spirit, right? The presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than the physical body of Jesus next to us. 
Jesus' ascension means the Spirit of God is given as a gift to those who are in Christ. Previously, the Spirit of God was only poured out on certain people for certain periods of time for certain purposes, right? Spirit of God came upon so-and-so and he did this, right? We, if you read the story of Samson, it happens like seven times. The Spirit of God comes on him, he does a cool thing, right? But it was just for that period of time. But this is what God speaks through Joel. This is an Old Testament prophet. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Like, this is a really cool prophecy. How in the world do we know that, that the Holy Spirit coming in the book of Acts is actually this prophecy fulfilled? Because we sometimes misunderstand prophecies. Well, in Acts 1, Jesus ascends, and then in Acts 2, they wait for 10 days, and they're up in a, in a room. They're praying together in Jerusalem. Jesus said, don't, you know, don't leave Jerusalem. Stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes. There's tongues of fire on their heads, right? And amazing things are happening. They come out uh, testifying, shouting, and, you know, uh, speaking in other tongues and everything um, out into the streets, and everybody thinks they're drunk, like they're crazy, you know, it's nine in the morning and, you know, these people are nuts, right? Um, Peter, the apostle Peter stands up and delivers this message. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This was God's plan all along right? This, this, was, this was the exciting thing that Joel saw back in the Old Testament, right? Things are not great right now, right? But there's going to come a day where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. God is going to come dwell inside of you, right? And the ascension makes all of this possible. How does it make it all possible? I don't know, right? Like, I don't, I don't understand why Jesus can't be with us, couldn't be with us bodily and, you know, have the Holy Spirit there. I'm going to trust him, right? That's a gap that we're going to trust him on, you know? All right. What else does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and of the coming judgment, just like Jesus said in John 16 here, right? Um, Jesus quotes the prophet Joel, and then goes on to preach the gospel. And you can read his entire sermon in Acts chapter 2, right? And he, he talks about Jesus. He talks about his death and his resurrection and the payment for sins and the need for repentance, right? And this bold Peter leads 3,000 people to join the church that day. And it says they all were filled with the Spirit. Like, this is massive. But this is the same Peter 
who to a little girl beside a campfire said, I don't know this Jesus, you know, I've never met the guy, right? Like that's the same guy leading 3,000 people, right? But just uh, with 10 plus 40, like 50 days ago, 53 days ago, uh, <laughs> 53 days ago, he had denied that he ever knew Jesus, right? It's the, it's the, what's the difference? He's got the Holy Spirit inside of him. He's got boldness and power to proclaim the gospel to the nations, right? And also the Holy Spirit is on the earth convicting everyone he was listening to of, of righteousness and of sin and of the coming judgment. It makes a difference to have the Holy Spirit with you, right? It, it makes a big difference. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus said in John 16, we read, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit, number one, testifies of Jesus, right? And that's really the message we all need to, <laughs> to get, um, is the message of Jesus, who he is. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily, right? He reveals truth to the heart of every believer, right? He breathed out the word of God. This is written by the Holy Spirit this whole thing. And we carry it around every day. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that reveals truth and guides us in all truth, which is why we can have conviction and we can have confidence that we can hear from the Lord because we have the Holy Spirit helping us. Praise the Lord. All right. What else does the Holy Spirit do? He's a helper. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, right? All those things that we couldn't do before, the Holy Spirit helps us with, right? With the Holy Spirit, we can endure hardship, right? I can now humble myself like Jesus did. Right? That takes, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. I can have miraculous love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. That's not something that we teach in school. That's not something that just good parenting can, can impart. Right? This is a work of the Holy Spirit that's miraculous and causes the church to be a light to the world. What else does the Holy Spirit do? He changes our hearts and helps us obey. In Ezekiel, God promises, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully obey my rules. God cares about your heart as well as your actions, right? Scripture says that he gives you the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. And that's an act of the Holy Spirit. You say, oh, I just can't, I just can't please God. I just feel like I'm just constantly not measuring up. The Holy Spirit is the answer. The Holy Spirit is the help. Don't try to do God's work without God's help, right? God gives you this massive you know, commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, be Jesus to people, 
right? Be his hands and feet, right? This is massive, right? It's not a little commission. It's a great commission. It's huge, right? But if we try to do it in our own strength, that's the fastest way to burnout. That's the fastest way to moral failure, right? That's the fastest way to falling. We need the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus says when he gave the great commission, the first thing he said afterwards, but wait, stay in Jerusalem. Don't try it yet. Wait for a few days until the Holy Spirit comes, right? And then you'll have power to preach it to the whole world. Sometimes we need to wait for the Lord. You know, we think, oh, I, I see so-and-so doing amazing things for the Lord. I'm just going to go follow in his footsteps, right? We need to wait for the Lord, be filled with the Spirit, and then walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does so much more. There's just a couple of highlights. He also gives us comfort and hope, right? He's a down payment on our inheritance, right? He's a seal of our salvation. He helps sons and daughters prophesy. He makes old men dream dreams. Start to pay attention as you read scripture to the work of the spirit. He's in every book, right? He was hovering over the deep in Genesis, right? He's, he's in every book. One thing that surprised believers is that the spirit was poured out um, uh, on, even on non-Jews. And that was a big deal. Um, scripture tells us the believers from among the circumcised were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, right? It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your history is. Like the Holy Spirit is available to all people at all times. Trust me. <laughs> Can't put the word circumcised up on the screen without people giggling. All right. So the question is, how do you receive the... Take it off. <laughs> oh. ah! Ah! How do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> All right, I got to find the slide again. There we go. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Repent. Turn from your sin. It's a godly sorrow that leads to a life change, right? It's not just, I feel, I feel bad about this, right? It's, it's not even asking for forgiveness, right? Repentance is a godly sorrow that turns into life change, right? You got to actually go out and follow Jesus. Number two, be baptized. If you've not been baptized, get baptized. Jesus said so. There you go. Um, all right, Holy Spirit. That was kind of a big point. My points aren't even symmetrical. Like, the Holy Spirit's kind of a big deal about the ascension. Um, number th three. Uh-oh. Oh, did I back it up? Nope. Yep. Um, oh. Now I'm lost. Just a second, folks. Ah, ha-ha. Number three means he's coming again. The ascension means that he's coming again. Um, Jesus says, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. But in a little while after that, you will see me again. The, the ascension is directly connected to his return, right? Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us, right? There's an anticipation that he's now going to return in glory. Um, back in Acts 1, 
the angels who walk up on the, the disciples like staring up into heaven, like they say that Jesus is going to return in the same manner that he went up to heaven in, right? And this is important. Jesus is returning literally and bodily, right? We talked about the two senses of, of Jesus being here with us and, pe- and Jesus not being here, right? Spiritual, physical, the whole thing. Um, and some people get it mixed up. They think that like, like, oh, Jesus has already come back, right? And this was a big deal um, in, uh, in the early church. People were saying that the, uh, the resurrection had already happened, right? These things were just spiritual. It wasn't a physical thing. It was just more a sense. Um, Um, Paul addresses the heresy in two different letters, specifically saying, hey, you've heard that, the re- that people are saying that the resurrection has already come. I- I'm here to tell you that it, it hasn't. He, he uh, says this in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend, it's opposite of ascend, descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are we comforted, church? Are we encouraged? Like, this is good news. This is real good news, right? Jesus is going to return, and those that have died are going to literally come back to life, right? We're going to be with people who have died. It's wonderful. It's, it's good, good, good news. Um, we're going to be with Jesus forever. Um, the, the thinking that the resurrection has already happened is uh, still around today. Um, and we'll see it when people say things like, all we have is right now, you know, or once you die, it's all over, right? That's it, right? Even YOLO is heresy, <laughs> you know, like, um, excuse me, I am going to be living twice. Thank you very much. Like, <laughs> we don't believe in YOLO. If you catch yourself forgetting forgetting that Jesus is going to come back and everybody who's dead is going to be resurrected with him, right? Go go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm going to read it again because it's so important. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's your first homework assignment. Like this week, talk to somebody about the fact that Jesus is coming back, right? To comfort them, to encourage them. All right, number four. Our mindset has to change to reflect the reality of heaven, right? It has got to change. Um, First, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 3 says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, 
not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is a cool verse. It's got the resurrection, the ascension, and his return all wrapped up in one passage, right? All together. And the ascension is a real big part of this, right? And what's the main point? You got to change what you're thinking about. You got to change the direction of your heart, right? You got to reorient things so that you're pointed up top. And boy, the, the world and the, the ways of, of living life here pull our gaze downward so fast and so hard, right? And it takes dwelling on the resurrection and on the ascension and on the return of Christ in order to reorient our hearts upwards, right? And this echoes what Jesus said about um, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then all these other things are going to be added to you, right? Like seek first, put your eyes on Jesus. I was looking up at the, at the lights. <laughs> I can't see my notes. <laughs> One translation of this same verse puts it like this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, sets your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at, at God's right hand, right? The realities of heaven. What are the realities of heaven? Right? Jesus was raised to life. So I can confidently walk away from my old self, right? I can live a new life because of the reality of heaven. Jesus returned to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of me. So I know that my soul is going to be satisfied forever. The reality is I have the Holy Spirit, right? And so my response is satisfaction in him. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So I know my needs will be met. I know I have somebody up there who cares about me, who is praying for me. Jesus is coming back to rule and to reign and to set everything right. So I am not going to worry. Jesus will descend with a shout and the dead in Christ are going to rise. So I know that I may lose people here on earth, but that loss is not forever. I'm going to see them again. These are the realities of heaven. In the words of Job, he says, I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. That's the confidence that we can have. We can, we can confidently say, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Where does that faith come from? It comes from a heart that is set on the realities of heaven. Kathy, will you close for us? It's good news. So where's your hope? We spent the last three weeks talking about hope. Is your hope in what you can do? Is your hope in what you can accomplish, how much money you can make? Anybody have kids? Have you ever tried to make them behave? <laughs> your hope 
at least our hope should be in Christ, right? And when we have that hope, we can have a confidence. We can have a confidence that we always have someone helping us. Do you have that confidence? Who here saw the confidence Peter had? Anybody? Come on, people. Was he confident? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that confidence when things don't go well? When tragedy strikes? When everything seems to fall apart? You need to have hope if you're a believer. It's what we base everything on, is our hope. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you willingly sent your son to die, but not just to die, but to rise again and be seated in heaven. And that you sent your Holy Spirit so that we could have an advocate. We could have a helper. That we could be comforted when things are hard. That we would have a place to to rejoice when things go well. That you never leave us or forsake us. That we are never alone. And Father, I just speak to those today that are feeling lonely and that don't have the confidence that you would just speak to their heart right now. And that might feel like a burning in your heart. Your stomach might tremble. You just might know in your knower. (laughs) These words are true. You never have to be alone. We thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.